Got time for a quick story. I am a proud member of the Lutheran Choral Mafia. <laughs> it's a term that those of us that have sung in college choirs and have been involved in music education have sometimes thrown around with regard to all of the high-quality college choirs in the upper Midwest, and especially at the private liberal arts colleges, many of them with a Lutheran heritage. For example, my alma mater, Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, and I was a member of Nordic Choir, their flagship choir, for uh, one year, my senior year at Luther back in the 1999-2000 school year. Well, there's a whole bunch of other top-notch choirs, again, right around that area of Iowa, Minnesota, getting over towards, of course, Wisconsin, towards the Dakotas, getting, getting down towards Illinois. And another of those iconic choirs is the St. Olaf Choir. They've been around a long time. F. Melius Christiansen was their founder back in 1912. And if not for him and the St. Olaf Choir, I don't know if all of these other high-quality college choirs happen, to be that blunt. St. Olaf Choir pioneered a lot of the choral sound that so many of us enjoy. So getting to hear one of these ensembles, quite honestly, is a treat. And that opportunity for hearing the St. Olaf Choir is coming to my hometown of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Thus, this edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. Well, we're talking today to Dr. Anton Armstrong of the St. Olaf Choir, going to be in Eau Claire at Pablo Center at the Confluence coming up on Sunday, January 19th, 3 p.m. show that afternoon on their 2020 National Winter Tour. It's the second performance of the overall tour, though there, there's a little bit of a break. There's a couple performances, a bit of a break, and then a bigger tour going out east, which is appropriate, of course, because this marks 100 years since the East Coast Tour of 19. 19- 20. I have to presume, starting off Dr. Armstrong, I have to presume that part of the objective of going to the East Coast this year had something to do with it being 100 years since that East Coast tour. Uh, Luke, that's correct, but we're on a five-year cycle, so the East Coast tour ends up either in an, uh, a 0 or a 10 or a 20 or a 05 or 15 or 25. So it was a, it was a uh, wonderful, wonderful coincidence, coincidence. yes. Perfect timing on that. So, the, in the in the prep info on, on this, it describes putting together this particular program from the history of the Saint Olaf Choir. It's a very rich history for anyone who's not familiar with it. Look it up, and then you'll see what I'm talking about. And also the current nature of the Saint Olaf Choir. So, how exactly is you're putting together this program? How do you decide on which songs to highlight from which eras, and then to create the, these four? themes of the songs of praise and rejoicing, of adoration, of justice and compassion, and love and hope? Well, that's how I spent a large part of my existence as conductor of this choir, is picking the repertoire, uh, the repertoire that will not only, first of all, connect with the student musicians who are the performers, but a repertoire that will also enrich the lives of those who will hear this performance. So, yeah, there's some music from, I think, the historical past of this choir, including uh, music of the founding conductor, F. Chris Johnson, a setting of one of his chorale motets, Odeful of Grace, and, of course, the, the choir's signature piece, Beautiful Savior. But also, from the earliest days of the choir's existence, the music of J.S. Bach, we are 
just in case anybody hears St. Olaf, we are a good Lutheran college. And um, the music of Bach has been uh, a hallmark of the repertoire. But I would say where we are different from the early days is that we sing actually the music, uh, the motet we're doing is the Geist of Unser Schwachheit auf, the Spirit also helpeth us. So in the days of the Chris Johnsons, both Father F. Malis and the son Olaf, and even the early days of my predecessor and teacher Kenneth Jennings, those would have been sung in English, in English translations. Starting about the middle of Dr. Jennings' tenure and throughout my time, my now 30 years as conductor of this choir, we have gone back to not only performing the works in the original language, but during starting with Dr. Jennings' uh, uh, leadership, performing them more historically accurately with instruments. And in that, you will hear uh, a consort of strings and winds accompanying this. Also from, uh, I would say, the more recent history of the choir in terms of the middle part of the in the latter part of the 20th century, music of composers such as Vaughn Williams, Ray Vaughn Williams. Um, but there's a great deal of music uh, that I think has emerged over my 30 years here. Um, this program, while it takes us from literally the, uh, the 18th century to the present day, will also evoke composers that have not often been heard uh, by not just followers of the single choir, but other other uh, other choristers and other choral lovers. Um, we're, the second piece in the program, for instance, is, is a wonderful motet from the 17th century by the uh, Jewish composer Solomon Rossi, a uh, setting titled Elohim HaShivenu. And at the end of the last section of the concert, that you will have a love song in Arabic, uh, Lama Bada. So I think we're trying to show across of cultures, across of time zones, uh, a mixture of both sacred and secular. Um, and I've tried to do and program pieces that I think will have meaning for our students, but will also have meaning uh, in, in the world in which we live today. A work that we commissioned eight years ago at the time of the choir centennial um, on Horizon's Brim is a work by Ralph Johnson. Ralph Johnson is a St. Olaf graduate, a classmate. He was actually a roommate of mine. He was going on to a wonderful career as a church musician and composer. But the text is set um, by an, a professor emeritus of art, Malcolm Gimsey. But Mac Gimsey, as we lovingly call him, Mac is also a wonderful poet. And he takes up themes of global warming, of care of creation. Um, in the third section, which I've entitled Songs of Justice and Compassion, a marvelous piece by one of my former students um, graduated about 10 years ago from this place, uh, Mari Valverde, and his piece entitled When Thunder Comes. It's a, it's a work that looks at the life and the struggles of four, four strong social justice advocates and not the typical sort, uh, typical sort of civil rights leaders. We often hear certainly of the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, but these are four people who were doing incredible work, um, some around the same time as Dr. King, but one, um, Sylvia Mendez, a Latino woman who was fighting for integration of the schools in Los Angeles in the 1960s, Helen Sia, a poet, um, 
Fulbright scholar who also um, was fighting for the rights of uh, lesbians and, and gay people throughout the country. Uh, Harvey Milk, who was the first openly gay uh, city councilman in San Francisco, and unfortunately his life was tragically cut down. And then a group called the Freedom Soldiers. I knew the Freedom Riders, which were um, many people from the North who had come down to the South to fight for uh, civil rights. But the group called Freedom Soldiers were a very unique group working in Mississippi in 1964, working for voting rights and the such. And this is a powerful piece. Um, and I think a piece that is much needed in the world in which we live today where people can't be mute on the side. They must speak up and speak up with courage. Another piece in that section that I, I rarely repeat a piece from year to year, but a work that I am repeating from last year is a, is a work entitled When Memory Fades. Um, this is written by Jane Southwick-Cool and in a choral setting by my colleague from Emory University, Eric Nelson. But it is a work that deals with people um, who have had to deal with the disease of Alzheimer's and dementia. And when I asked the 75 Voice Sound Choir how many people in the choir right now had relatives or dear friends who were dealing with this, nearly half the choir raised their hands. And it's a powerful work. It really is. Um, and so to try to program works that will, I think, touch the heads and the hearts of these singers um, and also the audience that will hear it is important to me. In the last section, I've entitled uh, Songs of Love and Hope. Um, I mentioned the Arabic love song, but also we're featuring a very... Um, very simple but yet poignant setting of uh, the Irish ballad Danny Boy. And it was done by Joseph Flummerfeld. Uh, Dr. Flummerfeld was the longtime director of the Westminster Choir. Um, all my early teachers were graduates of Westminster Choir College, where he served as artistic director. And uh, had I made a different choice, uh, instead of coming to St. Olaf College, I should have gone to Westminster Choir College. That's where most of my teachers wanted me to go. And I would then have been a student of Dr. Flummerfeld. Uh, I was very fortunate as um, certainly by the time I came to St. Olaf, he and I had become colleagues and, and become friends. And we had the delight of um, sharing the stage with the two choirs together in 2002 at an Eastern Division uh, conference at the American Choral Directors Association. He was one of those people who, while I never studied in a formal classroom, was a great mentor to me in so many ways. And another piece in that set of, of uh, love and hope is a work uh, by Rene Clausen. Uh, Dr. Clausen is a 1974 graduate of St. Olaf College and is an acclaimed conductor and composer in his own right. Uh, his music won a Grammy Award several years ago in performances by the Kansas City Chorale. But Dr. Clausen is concluding his 34th and final year as conductor of the Concordia Choir. Uh, Concordia College is a sister college to St. Olaf in Moorhead, Minnesota, and it's a way of us acknowledging and paying respect to this wonderful, wonderful musician. And one of the things that I have brought during my 30 years as conductor is I'm not a composer and I'm not a ranger, but I'm a great lover of the African-American concert spiritual. And you will hear three of these concluding the program, uh, one setting by the really the one of the 
groundbreaking arrangers of the African-American concert spiritual Harry T. Burley in a setting of My Lord, When I'm Warning. And then Josephine Pollins, who's actually a retired music educator from Chicago, uh, in a setting of the spiritual city called Heaven, but placed in sort of a gospel garb. It's a wonderful uh, setting that features two soloists along with the choir. And then uh, the great Moses Hogan, uh, who was also a dear friend, his stirring setting of My Soul has been anchored in the Lord. So I think this is a program, and I've left off some other things. We're doing some contemporary works by living composers uh, who have ties to either St. Olaf uh, or Minnesota. Uh, Matthew Peterson uh, is a St. Olaf grad from about about 2006, but he went on to study in Sweden and uh, met his wife and began a family and lives in Sweden now. Much of his early work was in the area of instrumental writing, but now he has turned uh, his attention to choral writing, and his Adoramus Te is a uh, very mystical um, portrayal uh, of this ancient text. And then Jake Runestead, who has quickly emerged as one of the shining stars in the choral world, and uh, we're very happy to claim him here in Minnesota, his Alleluia and the first half of the choral concert. You mentioned the alumni of St. Olaf, who are among the some of the composers and arrangers, and I can think of others who have published choral works who are who are alums. As they have come up through the choirs, through the music department, in, in your time there, and of course not all, I mean, some of them obviously way precede, but even just going back the last three decades or so, do you gain a sense of their capabilities as students? I mean, I presume so, but like when do you start to gain a sense of their capabilities, and how is that molded before they embark on their professional careers? St. Olaf College may be a small college in numbers in some ways, but it is a mighty big college in producing great talent. And I would say, especially in the last 20 years, it started when uh, a former colleague who went on to Middlebury College to head the department there, but uh, Peter Hamlin, when he came uh, as a teacher of composition and theory, he brought a great energy in uh, investing in our students. And we started to see then a growth in uh, our, our student composers and not just doing, you know, kind of nice little works, but works that were, were winning uh, recognition uh, in terms of the state and nationally. Uh, and I would say he was followed then by Justin Merritt and then also Timothy Moore, conductor of the St. Olaf Band, who's also an incredible composer in his own right, as is the conductor of the St. Olaf Orchestra, Stephen Amundsen. And then several of my choral colleagues um, who have... Uh, who have now either left the college or other positions or retired, John Ferguson, Robert Schultz, who's one of his works is actually on this this uh, this program, and later Christopher Ospas, um, were all people who brought their composing talent and nurtured our students. And so we've seen in the last 20 years just an incredible growth, not only instrumentally but chorally, of students. And uh, Mari Valverde, who's When Thunder Comes, actually I published her first piece in my Earth Song series, uh, a work that she wrote earlier. And uh, I think of uh, Stanford Scriven, who when was a student, he wrote a, a very um, elegant setting of Jesus Christ, the apple tree. And so there are a number of students now that are being published or being recognized uh, with uh, national awards for their composition. And I'm, and we are doing more and more, uh, not just with the St. Olaf Choir, but we have eight choirs here and two uh, 
two bands and two full symphony orchestras. And more, of our, more and more of our students' works are being featured on the programming, both our touring groups, but also our residential ensembles. How has the level of musicianship and even the style of even singing among students changed in the last 30 years since you first got in, in charge of the St. Olaf Choir, but also, as again, observing all of the choirs there? How has that changed, if at all, over the last 30 years? I can think of older recordings of of other college choirs. You go back decades and decades, you can hear the, st- the style sounds almost completely different. It almost sounds like there's a different level of maturity, even though they're the same age. Have you seen any development and evolution in since 1990 or so? Oh, I certainly. I'm, you know, our students are influenced by the world in which they live, you know. So in the late 80s, early 90s, we had certain popular groups that influenced their singing, and I could tell who they were listening to. Um, that has the rise of uh, small a cappella groups, especially in the upper Midwest. That was kind of a thing in the East and West Coast, but that has really taken off in the last 30 years, and both in high school and the college level. I would say that certainly in the last 30 years, um, with the advent of the Internet and uh, having resources through technology now that we can have an access to global music that we didn't have when I first came. My first Sunday conducting St. Olaf Choir, I, I did a plain song chant for the communion. I did the motet we're doing this year, the Quran motet we're doing this year, Day Full of Grace of F. Manus Chris Johnson. But the service ended with us doing a South African freedom song with conga drums. And that, in 1990, was novel, not just for St. Olaf College, it was novel for most likely most of the upper Midwest uh, uh, Lutheran colleges and many uh, uh, other colleges all over the place because there, we had very little access to that music. And now we have, uh, because of technology, we have access to music and how music should be s- sung and performed from around the world. And that's a major change in that if we're going to do that with any degree of integrity. I hate the word authenticity because if we go back and say certain things are authentic, you might not want to perform in that way. But with integrity, um, sounds have to change. And, uh, you know, a Palestrina motet should not sound uh, like a South African freedom song. They need to have a different uh, approach vocally. They need to have a different attitude. And I think that has uh, pushed a lot of us, and I'm one of those, sometimes out of my comfort zone, but when we do it, and we do it with research and proper study and do it in a healthy fashion, I think it's very been very exciting, and it's enriched the, uh, the choral repertoire that we have, certainly not just in this country, but around the world. And what kind of training and cultural, and in a musical sense, cultural exposure to choral music and such are students having when they arrive on campus, has that changed in terms of what opportunities they've already had, what lessons they could have taken? Have you noticed any difference in the, I don't want to say necessarily talent, but but in the abilities of students and overall wide-ranging familiarity of types of music when they come in as freshmen today compared to prior years? Yes. Um, I think one of the things that has changed, St. Olaf, when I arrived, was was emerging as a national uh, school, national liberal arts college, not just simply a regional. And um, But St. Olaf certainly has become a liberal arts college that attracts a national student body. And so as we just uh, began to recruit students, uh, 
to our campus, coming from different parts of this country, many of those cultural attitudes and those cultural um, diverse points of diversity have flavored this campus in a very different way. I think many of the students coming now have a broader range of music that they've been exposed to in their high school or community choirs. Sometimes that means that some of the more classical bel canto training is maybe quite not as strong as it was 30 years ago. Um, and so sometimes we're having to do a little bit more rudimentary training or retraining in that area. But they certainly come with a greater ability to try different styles of music and are excited about those different styles and challenge us to keep opening our minds uh, to what we do program. I would also say to you that in the last decade, 15 years or so, more of the choral art is reexamining itself at, to be relevant to a 21st century audience, not just an audience who will come and sit in a concert hall or, or in a church, but that music will speak to current conditions, will speak, and this is why some of the music I articulated earlier in our conversation, I highlighted, because it's music that talks about social justice. It's music that deals with real-life situations of people when you're dealing with a loved one who's facing Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, this music is presented not just for entertainment. It's, it's meant to feed the soul, body, mind, spirit, and voice. And uh, so to bring music that is, is relevant, not just to our society, but also that we are citizens of the world. This is a large part of what the St. Wolf Mission is about. And the choir is but a microcosm of this college community. So that uh, I know in several other areas of my uh, of the work we do here with several of my colleagues, they have been even more um, active in civic engagement projects where they will collaborate with area ensembles or, uh, or entities that may be lifting up uh, 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 people who are homeless, uh, populations of people who are imprisoned, uh, populations of people who are dealing with socioeconomic areas or collaborations with ensembles whose part of their mission is because of their sexual orientation or their gender identity. And more of what we do is trying to embrace the reality of the 21st century and that our music is in service to others. What would you describe, and this is, this is a, always a tricky thing to describe the aesthetic, but how would you quantify and verbalize the signature sound of the St. Olaf Choir? Well, in the early years under the Chris Johnsons, uh, and they set a really a wonderful model, but that was a time I would say the, the sound of the choir was one of vocal conformity. In other words, uh, both F. Malish and Olaf had certain ideal types of sounds and voices, and they chose those initial voices, and then the other voices they chose had to basically fit into that sound. Um, when Kenneth Jennings took the helm of the choir in 1968. He was a student of Olaf Chris Johnson's, and he respected Dr. Chris Johnson immensely. But he also felt that the sound of the choir had gotten a bit stiff. So in his own words, as he said, I uncorked the vibrato bottle, let the sound become healthier, 
Uh, he ha- was conductor of the choir for 22 years. He said, I spent that first year uncorking the vibrato bottle and then spent the next 21 years trying to put it back on in some ways. Um, but what he brought about was allowing a healthier, more natural style of singing um, in which he took a variety of voices. And then by how he sat them in the ensemble, the placement in the ensemble, um, and having the singers maybe work even harder for uh, uniformity of vowels and balance, um, he achieved a type of, uh, of wonderful uniformity to the sound. So I would say that in the age of the Chris Johnsons, it was a sound of conformity. From Jennings to the present day, I would say we've been searching for a uniformity. And as, for instance, our student body has become more ethnically diverse and racially diverse, we, we find um, a variety of colors that were not here 16, 70 years ago in the voices of our students. And I think that's a wonderful way. I'm a pretty good cook. Um, I would say the age of the Chris Johnson is a lot of salt and pepper. Jennings started a lot of spices, and I've kicked that door open. I like a lot of hot sauce. <laughs> and you hear that in the sound. What younger choir directors are impressing you around the country of of similar ensembles, whether they're college or high school or adult ensembles? What's the next generations? Which ones are really jumping out at you? Well, I'm going to, going to lift up one of our own, and that would be Craig Hella Johnson with Conspirare in Texas. Uh, Craig Johnson is about six years younger than I am, but we have been friends for most of our professional lives. Uh, and when I was on leave teaching at Baylor University in uh, 2007, Craig came and served as guest conductor of the St. Louis Choir. But I think one of the things I admire most about uh, Craig Johnson, not only is he an incredible musician, but his ability to uh, break down the walls between not only styles of music, uh, uh, genres of music, and to find quality in each. He creates these collage concerts, which are um, marvelously structured. And you see this in some of his own arrangements. He's taken uh, a wonderful uh, Corral by Michael Pretorius, Loha Rose, it's blooming. And he put it together with the song that Bette Midler made so famous in the 70s and 80s, The Rose. And at first it seems like, oh my Lord, what a, what a contrast. How could they work together? But Craig was going beyond musical styles and musical types of composition to the essence of the, what the message was about, which was one of love. And so his ability, he, he has been a model to me and what he does in terms of programming and in fact, during my last sabbatical in 2014, I went to several places to observe what I felt were best practices in choral music. I went to Florida State University, especially my longtime friend and colleague, Andre Thomas, to see the work that they do, especially in curriculum, um, to compare what we could, what we're doing well and what we might do better. I went to Westminster Choir College because I believe it's uh, one of the finest centers still of choral music making and um, and to, again, compare our strengths and where we could grow. But the third entity that I, I spent time with was Conspirare. I wanted to see um, how this man went about making music. And what I saw was, yes, he garnered and gathered together some incredible uh, uh, soloists who could sing an ensemble, including several of our former students. Um, but what I saw was not only a respect for the people he worked with, but a respect for the music and a willingness to think outside of the box. And so I think in terms of that type of 
ensemble that comes together and that doesn't so much get caught up in sacred or secular uh, or art or, or folk or, or popular music, finds the best in all styles. And I think the other thing is that Craig has tried to do again is to serve others through the choral art. One of his, um, I think, groundbreaking uh, contributions to the choral art has happened in the last five to six years in, a, in one of his own compositions. And he constructed a piece. I heard it during what he would call, um, well, he, 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 was, he, he had sketches of a larger work that came to be known as um, Considering Matthew Shepard. I heard it when he was calling it in its workshop period. But he created a piece um, that is based on the life and death of the young man uh, who was killed because of his sexual orientation. And he's created a compassionate work of art that um, goes far beyond of sexual orientation or identity, but how humans need to create, uh, how, how human beings need to treat each other. And it's uh, a lesson and a piece of, of empathy, a piece of love. I think <clears throat> in the years to come, I think the groups... And, and it may, may not just be simple choirs with a conductor. I think we're going to be talking more about singing communities, people who gather together. We used to do that in schools and churches. I'm not sure that alone in, in the coming years that will be enough. But people who want to come together. We see this now with the justice choirs that have become uh, more popular. My current colleague, um, Tespa Monomanagehu, has been one of the... Uh, people who have been the instigators of this. He and another one of our uh, graduates, Abby Vettinas, an extremely wonderful composer from the Twin Cities, created this justice choir and this model of the justice choir, people coming together in large singing experiences, spreading messages of compassion, messages of justice, messages of love. This is taking um, root throughout the country, throughout the world. And I think we're going to see more of that type of experience where people come together in communal song. The Messengers writing and arranging. We've already gone through alumni of St. Olaf, but what are the younger composers and arrangers countrywide, worldwide, who you've got your eye most on right now of, okay, this is, this is one who's, we're going to hear their name a lot more. We're looking forward to more of their work. It's something, any of us who are a singer, we're all, when we start to see names get repeated a few times and we hear their work and go, okay, who's giving you that spark right now? Personally, I, I, I'm very proud of some of the, the alums of St. Olaf. Abby Bettinas, uh, Jocelyn Hagen, Timothy Tkach, uh are just graduates of the last 15 to 20 years who are starting to make their name in that way. I mentioned to you Jake Runestad. Um, I think there are international composers. One that has become a dear friend and favorite of mine is Norwegian composer Kim Andre Andersen, um, who I've commissioned several works for at St. Olaf, and I'm, uh, I will be conducting uh, one of his larger, more extended works, Magnificat, later this spring at Carnegie Hall in New York. Um, I think there are growing, and they may not be household names, but composers uh, from uh, Asia, 
especially when we look at some of the incredible compositional work that's happening in South Korea. South Korea is a very, I've spent a lot of time there in the last decade. It's a very distinctive place for choral music in the world and, and kind of still not known. Every major municipality, and not just city, but municipality in South Korea has a professional choir. And that means they are paid for by the government. A few of them are totally full-time work. The National Choir uh, of South Korea is a full-time job. But even the other ones who that provide at least 50 to 60% of the income for their singers. They meet every day. Their choral artistry is incredible. And I've had the chance to conduct a number of those professional choirs and be part of that scene. Um, I believe there's music certainly that's happening throughout Eastern Europe that we are still just uh, on the fringe of understanding and knowing and and music of the Middle East that is... Um, is yet to become more apparent to us. And certainly the the type of communal singing, again, not necessarily because of a choir and a conductor, but the type of communal song that comes out of Africa and Latin America, I think we will have, uh, there are composers now that are, that are there that are emerging even more and more. And I look forward to finding some of those names uh, yet to come. And... Um, Minnesota actually has been a, an incredible uh, place planting seeds. When Libby Larson and the late Stephen Pauls began what was then called the Minnesota Composers, Por- uh, Composers Forum, which is now the American Composers Forum, um, they, uh, they created something very special to plant seeds with, with local people who would grow into national names. Um, uh, an alumnus from your your own alma mater, uh, Connor Calpine, I think is another name that I that I that I know is writing beautifully. Um, yeah, there are many more that are not coming to me right at this time, but we are seeding with organizations like Chorus America and the American Choral Directors Association. We are, are, are planting the seeds for, for another generation, a new generation that will be rich uh, in, in compositions for the voice. Speaking of rich, rewarding, three decades on now with the St. Olaf Choir, what has been the most rewarding aspect or aspects of that time, and what are you most looking forward to in the years to come? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> when you hit 30, you start, okay, maybe the best years are behind, but I hope for whatever length of time I'm still going to be here that, uh, that there will be many um, new wonderful challenges and opportunities. I certainly have been blessed with 30 years of incredible singers, of singers who have given more than just time in rehearsals, but give their heart and mind, or as my, my, my long-term mentor Helen Kemp would say, they sing with body, mind, spirit, and voice. And they have enriched my life. They have made me a better musician. They have forced me to be a better conductor and teacher. I've also been so fortunate with the colleagues that I have had here uh, in the music department, but also the college as a whole. Um, For college to embrace the arts as St. Olaf does and not just in it's easy to talk the talk, but they have walked the walk in terms of providing 
the resources for us to create music not only here on campus, but to send the St. Olaf Choir and the St. Olaf Band and the St. Olaf Orchestra as ambassadors to the world and allowing us to bring in luminaries who have come here in my time to be able to bring people like Sir David Wilcox and Helmut Rilling and Andrew Carter. Uh, last year, our orchestra had the ability to perform with Sarah Chang, the incredible violinist. Um, and that takes resources from not only the college, but the, but our alums and friends of the college to do that. And an incredible faculty. Uh, some of us um, are more at the forefront in terms of public attention, but this takes a village. And we have, over these 30 years, I've had incredible colleagues, especially in the voice area, helping to nurture these young singers. They're still basically 18 to 22-year-olds, but young singers, um, to be the very best that they can be and to be in a place where we don't fight between, um, you know, are you going to be a solo singer or an ensemble singer? We teach healthy singing here, and we, and we know that the individual will be enriched by the work that they do privately in the studio, but also wonderfully enriched by the ensemble experience. And um, as I said, I would say especially my choral colleagues, who in my initial years were my mentors and my teachers, um, some literally had been, as in Robert Schultz, had been my teacher, had been my voice teacher. I sang with him for two years before in the chapel choir before I sang with Kenneth Jennings in the Sentinel Choir. To have models like Kenneth Jennings and uh, Alice Larson, longtime voice teacher and conductor here, and then to arrive on this faculty and to work with the likes of John Ferguson and Robert Schultz and Sigrid Johnson and then later Christopher Ospas. When John retired, uh, James Bob and... When Sigrid retired to have uh, Therese Hibbert, who is on the current team of conductors, and uh, when Aspas took his leave to Texas Christian University, Mark Stover was with us for three years, and now he is at the University of Michigan, and currently Tessa Mondamanagehu. Um, you know, to work in that sort of community where you're, you're um, not working in silos, but you work as a team, where you work as a village. And you work for the common good of not your ego, but you work for the common good to make something beautiful happen. And that's been a joyous opportunity. And I hope the years ahead, I don't know how many years, or certainly less than, <laughs> than I've already done, but those years ahead. And, you know, the very fact that we're having this type of conversation right now, I'm looking at a person who was a former student and a former choir, a member of the choir. But Jeff O'Donnell and his staff here at Broadcast Media they do incredible work to get our work, um, our, our concerts now are streamed, and they're streamed internationally. Our Christmas festival, now uh, you don't have to be in Scoglin Auditorium to hear that Christmas festival. Um, we have, that's been another way that the college has supported this, but to have such gifted individuals as Jeff O'Donnell and his staff um, to help bring our message of hope and our message of beauty throughout the world is indeed a gift. And I'm not the craziest person about winter. My parents are from the Caribbean. My DNA says I should be someplace warm. So I deal with the climate, but I have a warm community in which I live in a community that is also trying its best. We're not a perfect community, but to be a, a, a better community of, of equity and inclusion for all people where there's a place of belonging and, and, and it's good to be in a place that struggles with those questions. And, uh, and again, we try to represent that in our music making. 
It's a gift that folks in the Eau Claire area in western Wisconsin will get to see and hear for themselves. January 19th on the 2020 National Winter Tour, 3 p.m. show at Pablo Center at the Confluence. The St. Olaf Choir, Dr. Anton Armstrong, this is Truly been an honor to get to chat with you uh, today to to learn more about the St. Olaf Choir and, and all of the messaging and all of the music that you're doing. And all the best on this tour and all the best going down the road with, uh, with all of the musicians you work with. Thank you, Luke. What a pleasure to talk with you. And I hope you and many of your listeners will be at that concert in Eau Claire. Thank you. Dr. Anton Armstrong of the St. Olaf Choir. Uh, yeah, he, he has been a very high-quality steward of that ensemble. Again, the fourth choir director, fourth conductor, however you want to term it, of the St. Olaf Choir in history, and that's over a century of history. And he's 30 years on and is going to continue to be the conductor, hopefully for quite some time to come. If you want to learn more about them, more about the St. Olaf Choir, we'll go to stolaf.edu, S-T-O-L-A-F.edu, and learn more about the St. Olaf Choir. They have numerous recordings. You can find a lot of their performances, even on the likes of YouTube and such. Definitely listen to them, and you're, you're going to be in for a treat when you hear them. There are a lot of really good Lutheran College choirs. They are right at the top, and I say that as someone from, a, from another school that has a really good college choir, St. Olaf as a really good college choir, definitely worth listening to. This has been the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. Thanks, as always, to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for providing the facilities. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can find it at a lot of the usual locations, Apple, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and also rate this podcast, preferably higher if you so desire to get some more visibility to this podcast as we talk to musicians of all sorts. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.